Welcome to Hard Sell, a podcast where my friend and I give each other the hard sell on a piece of media that we enjoy, such as a podcast, a video game, a set of albums, or a sports documentary. My name's Cody Morin. My name's Tim Bloom. And I'm Cozy Hanula. So, uh, my wife is heading out of town here soon. I think by the time this episode goes up, uh, she'll have gone and come back already. But she's headed to New Orleans for Mardi Gras. Sure. Um, I didn't know too much about it. Never been to New Orleans. Uh, Tim, I think you've been there once, haven't you? Not for Mardi Gras, just in general. Yeah, I, I was, I went there with my dad for like a, he got tickets to a, like a Vikings game and like friends and family event. We wound up stumbling into a parade. So it was part of a parade in New Orleans accidentally. Um, yeah, it was a good time. Drank moonshine with my dad in college. Yeah, it was an interesting experience. Um, yeah, good times. Good times in New Orleans. <laughs> Cozy, Threw a marshmallow into an alligator's mouth. No, nice. I haven't been. Uh, I want to go. One of my good friends from call, uh, grad school lives there, so I keep meaning to get out there and visit her, but haven't yet. There was a whole pandemic situation that made it hard. It did make things a little more difficult, especially uh, going to like New Orleans and going in Bourbon Street and whatnot. I imagine is uh, was not the most COVID friendliest place in the world, anyway. So Unlikely, probably yeah. not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I figured uh, I was looking into Mardi Gras, uh, like what goes what goes on down there with all the parades and everything. And I don't know if you guys know much about what they do down there and i'm not going to pretend like i know everything so forgive sure. me listeners if i get something wrong but um there's uh as most people probably know there are a lot of parades that happen during mardi mm-hmm. gras uh in new orleans and so essentially you have these different groups of people called crews i think there's like 70 or 80 registered crews each with anywhere from like a couple hundred to a couple thousand members Um, they each throw like their own parade and like crew formal ball and all that kind of different stuff. They're all different themes. Um, and they throw a bunch of different goods and whatnot from their floats. Um, and so what, what would you, if you guys have gone to parades in the past, which I'm sure you have, uh, what, what do you expect to be thrown from a parade float? I mean, Mostly I assume candy. beads. Beads is the my beads. guess. Like yeah. that's yeah. the whole beads idea. Beads for the right? Mardi Gras thing. Yes, and so that's that's the big one. Uh, fun fact: the beads used to be made of glass, not plastic. That seems Ow. very sure. hazardous. <laughs> so I'm sure that was fun. A being pelted by bundles of glass in the crowd, and also like stepping on and falling on them. I'm sure was a great time. Yeah. Well, um, I remember when I again sort of accidentally stumbled into a parade and was a part of one for a few blocks, getting beads thrown on me from the balconies overlooking. Not me. <laughs> I don't think they were throwing them at me specifically, but like those streets are very packed and there's a lot of oh, balconies, yeah. so people just chuck them all over the place and like uh, even the plastic ones. I was like shielding my head, so I cannot imagine <laughs> if people were throwing little balls of glass that that would be enjoyable (laughs) yeah yeah i wouldn't think so i think that stopped in like the 70s at some point but that's a very 70s vibe yeah yeah uh i think uh in there was an article from 2018 a reuters article that said that 
New Orleans officials had noted that there were 46 tons of carnival beads that were among the trash pulled from like clogged sewer catch basins. <laughs> sure. It's just like what? I think the actual total is like 93,000 pounds of beads. It's sure. just insane. Um, but the beads are just kind of like the normal thing that everyone knows, but there's all kinds of other stuff that they throw too. Uh, that I learned while looking all of this up. Uh, so the the most coveted of them, uh, there's the crew of Zulu, representing like Zulu warriors, and they decorate and pass out coconuts. Uh, oh my god. So They don't throw uh, they, them at the they, crowd. You said pass <laughs> out specifically. Yes, because they used to throw them. Oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> along with another crew that I'll get to in a little bit. Um that I think there were like lawsuits and stuff at some point due to injuries. And so they stopped throwing it. Yeah. Weird. They stopped throwing coconuts into the crowd and now gently pass them out to people, at least from what I've read. Yeah. Um, I don't think getting brained by a coconut is my idea of a good uh, (laughs) celebration. Parade attendance experience. (laughs) Especially if it falls on the ground, like someone else picks it up and you don't even get this like super coveted, coconut or if it what breaks you against your head it's decoration i don't know how do you get into a coconut if you're not machete? like you own a machete <laughs> i mean that i should know about i can smash you, a coconut <laughs> if you're in new orleans maybe you have to keep one handy for coconuts for if coconuts, i'm going to yeah. a parade trying to get myself a coconut i'm gonna bring a machete <laughs> or some sort of if you've got a chisel and a hammer you can get into a coconut okay <laughs> We're you're th- we're basically thirty. We can find a way to open a coconut. <laughs> you would think. This sounds like a good bonus podcast and or stream at some point. Oh no! <laughs> uh, use only tools in your house. Uh, surprise! Uh, someone shows up at your house with a coconut, and you have to figure yeah. out how to get into it as quick as you can. This is like a taskmaster task of like yeah. open yeah, the coconut as fast as possible. <laughs> um, but yeah, the I think they, from what I was reading, they kind of start prepping like at the end of Mardi Gras for the next year's Mardi Gras, yeah. um, like getting taking the time to like decorate everything a lot of them on some of these items that they decorate end up spending like thousands of dollars like bulking up and decorating and all that but um the other one that i think used to be thrown and no longer is is there's another crew the crew of muses it's an all-female crew that passes out hand decorated stilettos oh my lord (laughs) (laughs) but i imagine also probably uh it's a good thing they don't throw those (laughs) When you said muses, I was imagining lyres, like full instruments just chucking into the crowd, and somehow that is the less wild version of like throwing <laughs> knives into the crowd. Uh, no, stilettos as in like oh, the like shoe. the shoes. All right, well that's uh, that's at least better than what I was imagining, which was knives going hurtling into the crowd, <laughs> sheathed presumably, but still. Yeah, um, let's. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, let's hand hand out a bunch of knives to this uh, drunk, rowdy crowd. That seems like the best. I mean, what is a stiletto shoe but like a a makeshift (laughs) knife, though? Ultimately, that's true. That's fair. Wow. Um, Single or a pair of stilettos? Do you think? Because what am I doing with one stiletto? 
Well, I think they're usually decorated in a way that you probably can't wear it. Oh, sure. Uh, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, they're very ornamental. Um, Maybe that's true of the coconuts, too. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the gist of most of these things. Um, There's another one, the crew of Nicks, that passes out decorated, like, Nicks purses. Um, Those may be more usable, but I think... Uh, from the couple pictures of like the stilettos that I saw, they were not in any way a, a wearable shoe anymore. The Nicks, whole, like, are we talking? Filled. When you say Nick's, Nicks isn't like the Greek. Okay, gods. not the basketball team from New York. Correct. Got it. Because I was like, I would be so confused if I went to New Orleans for Mardi Gras and I came back with a New York Knicks handbag. It would be hard to explain, I think. But well, I understand. Uh. Those are like still kind of the more normal things. Um, wow. They're, okay. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think every crew has royalty. A lot of them have like a king and or a queen. Sure. Um, some of them have like celebrities. So there's a famous one, the crew of Bacchus, um, that has their king is always a celebrity. So I think it's Adam Devine this year. Incredible had, like, choice. They've, yeah, they've had uh, <laughs> J.K. Simmons, John C. Riley, Will Ferrell have all okay. been like in the parade as their celebrity king. Um, sure. But there was one that caught my eye. That's the crew of Tux, uh, because I saw a picture of their king standing on a float that was basically a gigantic toilet, and sure. uh, the throws that they that are coveted from that crew are uh, very nicely decorated toilet plungers and toilet brushes. So that's interesting. Good. It's um, <laughs> a choice well, for sure. Uh-huh. And then uh, they also throw food sometimes like coconuts, so, uh, like coconuts. Uh, but I feel like a coconut is probably not something that you're going to just like, you know, bite into right there. Sure. You know, I'm not going to yuck any yums, but, uh, I personally wouldn't do that. Yeah, hard to eat a coconut. As discussed. But they'll throw, I think the most common thing is like moon pies. Sure. Uh, but they'll also throw like candy and gum, but then there are some that'll also throw like foil-wrapped hot dogs. Uh, Incredible. Like jam- jambalaya mixes, packages of ramen. Uh, so you don't need right, to go grocery shopping, this. you just need to go to Mardi Gras, is what you're saying. <laughs> That's what yeah, it this is like. pretty much what we buy. <laughs> Seasoning to... packets, ramen, and uh, moon pies and pre-wrapped hot dogs. It's a Costco trip all at once. Honestly, I think that jambalaya mix would be good in ramen. Probably. It'd probably be great. It probably would be pretty tasty. Um, but yeah, I just... It was just so weird looking up. I I didn't know anything about this. I just knew the stuff about like the beads and whatnot. And so I was like every page I linked to, there was one more like even weirder thing that they throw out at the at Mardi Gras. I was like, what? What even is this celebration? Like, I know it's like Fat Tuesday because Mardi Gras is French for Fat Tuesday. But right. Yeah. Yeah. It just got weirder and weirder every single time I looked at something. Yeah, it feels very random, but that is that's what I want probably from that of like some sort of esoteric. If I'm like getting like in my mind, the whole point of Mardi Gras, I'm sure there's like a cultural significance I just am not aware of, but like as a tourist, my goal would be like weird vibes. My goal would be like <laughs> something that feels kind of surreal in its uh 
like I don't know what's happen- coming next. Like I want the unexpected thing, and I would never expect someone to throw a shoe at me followed by a hot dog. So I think like that is a, <laughs> you know, it's a strong vibe. It is. Um, I just have to say, ran- I, I mentioned it, but Adam Devine as the king of the Bacchus uh, float is just a is really like an inspired choice. That is that is a. Like, as soon as you said that, I was like, that makes complete sense to me <laughs> and is definitely the right person. Makes way more sense than J.K. Simmons. Uh, yeah, different, a much different vibe. And uh, I feel like, yeah, I agree. It makes a lot more sense. But yeah, just looking back at their whole celebrity list, it's they've got a lot of names I've heard of on there, which is always interesting for me, not knowing very many names of <laughs> sure. uh, celebrities, typically. I think last year was uh, Josh Duhamel. Um, they've had like Hugh Laurie and interesting uh, Drew Brees, Drew Brees, Hulk Hogan. Yeah, sure. So makes yeah. sense. <laughs> um, so I'm going to uh go against the grain a little bit, and I'm going to not have any kind of transition because I don't think I deserve it. Because last time, Tim, I probably did the worst pitch that we've... Well, it's not that I tortured you. It was more that just, like, the actual pitch itself, I think, was the worst pitch that we've had on this podcast. Not because it's Loki, but because I just came in fully unprepared, and I feel like my pitch basically amounted to, I think it was good. Uh, Yep. And I didn't have a whole lot more than that to say about it, because I did uh, prepare it ahead of time. So... Tim, yeah. last episode, I pitched you on the Marvel Disney Plus TV show Loki. So I will turn it over to you to hear some of your thoughts. You did. And yes, you are correct. I, I shocked you by... What was what did you originally try to pitch me that I'd already watched? What uh, was Mystery it? Science Theater 3000. Of course, Mystery Science Theater 3000. Um, so yes, you pivoted to Loki. Good pivot. Um, the Is the cozy you may know this i think the only other time that happened was our first episode of the podcast is that correct no there's been two you and kyle oh. both pitched things i think you, you tried to pitch oh, good place right i tried to pitch a good place you're right um so it's I happened a couple of times kyle before tried to pitch you he tried to pitch me uh the uh goose game untitled goose game that's our right. first yes. episode i wound up with kindergarten two um <laughs> Uh, I do have a sound effect just for when people fail at their pitches, so and I rarely get to use it, so it's always a fun time when I get to bring that one out. <laughs> yeah, so it's never, it's not the worst pitch. Um, I got pitched Kindergarten 2. Shout out to Kyle. Um, <laughs> yes, you you pitched me Loki. So Loki is... Um, I was joking with Cozy that you are, over the course of this podcast, over years of time, going to get me to wind up watching everything, every Marvel Act 4 or whatever it is, um, piece, piece by piece. This is the third installment in the, the like, fourth... What do they call them? It's not Acts. It's, uh, like... It doesn't really it, matter. Is it just, like, part four? I don't know. I um, don't know. But I will note, uh, I think... If you don't include the like half of the what if animated show that we watched, you and I have now watched probably about the same because I Amazing. have not watched anything past like 
WandaVision, Loki, Falcon, Winter Soldier of like the Disney Plus TV shows. Okay, sure. Interesting. Um, but yes, oh, these, Loki. They call them phases. There's phases. like three That's phases. It. And they're often there like word. the Infinity Saga, the Multiverse Saga. So like the phases sure. are then grouped into sagas. So. Got it. Okay. Like a like how you classify animals or whatever. Um, sure. Yes. So the whatever. It helps me think about it. Don't worry about it. Don't look into it too much. Loki right. is a TV show, six episodes, about 40-ish minutes per episode, following uh, Loki. In, in the very last Avengers movie, there's some time travel shenanigans. Um, the... Avengers go back to steal the Infinity Stones. Spoilers, I guess, for the Avengers movie. If you wanted to watch it by now, you would have seen it. Um, And uh, during the course of this, Loki, Thor's brother and sort of villain slash anti-hero throughout the movies, uh, winds up escaping with the the Tesseract. And the show follows Loki's hijinks. Um, Not really hijinks, just follows what happens to him. He is quickly arrested he finds himself in the past he's sort of inadvertently it seems like used this artifact to transport himself to like uh looks like ancient mongolia potentially or like ancient east asia um he is arrested by the time variance authority or tva which is a bureaucratic organization that exists outside of time they're like governed and um run by these three primordial beings named the timekeepers uh and there is they exist to try to keep the world along the single sacred timeline so when people make choices that they are not meant to make or not have foreseen to make not have been foreseen to make they that create a divergent timeline they capture them either kill them or repurpose them and then destroy the divergent timeline to make sure there is one single possible sacred timeline. Uh, Loki is very quickly sort of uh, conscripted by one of the agents of this organization, a Mobius played by Owen Wilson, question mark. Um, (laughs) It is Owen Wilson, but it's just surprising to see Owen Wilson. Um, in in this role um be to help him catch a variant which is what they call the people who cause these separate timelines to break off from the sacred timeline who is a different version of loki uh running around causing pandemonium and that is the six episode arc is basically that of like loki's introduction to the tva uh and then their their quest to try to figure out why this variant Loki keeps killing TVA agents, what they're doing, and try to catch them. Um, so I have some notes. I don't feel the need to like recap episode by episode. Yeah. Um. So spoilers from here on out. If you're interested in Loki, again, like many Marvel things, you've probably seen it at this point. But if you're interested in watching without spoilers, now would be the time to watch and then come back because I'm going to start spoiling things immediately. So the show starts, you get a little prequel with Owen Wilson investigating a bunch of murdered um, people. And then Loki is arrested by the timekeepers. He's put in a sort of DMV style intake 
area where he's told to take a ticket. And then a video plays where Miss Minutes, I think her name is, mm-hmm. um, the sort of like clippy for the TVA, yeah. um, mm-hmm. explains what I just said, explains the backstory of the creation of this organization, that it was created to protect the one single thing. So my very first bullet point note in the document is TVA definitely evil. Reminds me tonally very much of WandaVision or even like the Wizard of Oz slash Willy Wonka. Like (laughs) immediately right away, I was like, this is a strong man behind the curtain vibe that like Mm -hmm. is, you know, it's it's surreal in a way that like wants you to know. So there's the twist at the end, right? That like the Mm -hmm. timekeepers are not real and it, it is the man behind the curtain thing like that is the twist that's the trope yeah uh it doesn't try to hide that in any way it, it is that thing from like right away my second note is everything this minute said in this video is a lie for sure 100 percent. like <laughs> yeah you know there's no twist to that it's just like is the text basically yeah and i mean you know i feel like they would have no reason to be truthful about anything because chances are 99.9% of the people who come into this room are about to get essentially deleted anyway. So like yes. mm-hmm. they can tell them whatever they want and no, pretty much no one is ever going to know if it's a lie or not anyway. So like, who cares? No. Yeah. And it's, it's a, uh... Immediately as it started, I was like, okay, I get what the tone of this is. And and what the tone is, is basically like a buddy cop movie. Or it's, it's really just like mm-hmm. a vehicle for Tom Hiddleston to like more or less play straight man to like a bunch of other people. Um, but we'll get to that in a minute. So I think like that is the gist. My fourth, my next bullet was... Law Loki being D.B. Cooper is very funny. I think yes. overall, the humor in this show, the jokes basically didn't work for me. The times where like characters yeah. said something that was supposed to be funny, I was mostly just like rolling my eyes at. But like, yeah. the gags were kind of funny. The idea of Loki being D.B. Cooper and being the like most infamous, maybe that's not true. Um, the most like interesting conspiracy plane hijack of all time being like a bet he lost to Thor is a pretty funny premise. I hate to say it, but I did like alligator Loki that worked <laughs> on me and I don't feel proud of it, but like, uh, the little alleg- the fact that there's an alligator Loki, like it, the, the like broad plot gag stuff worked for me. I thought the dialogue was like mostly a miss, especially the, the humor stuff. Yeah, that's fair. This, so this was an interesting one for me to go back to, too, because, um, you know, I remember liking this show. Yeah. And, uh, but when I pitched it, uh, you know, we had talked about how I normally try to like rewatch stuff ahead of the pitch, so I have sure. some ideas and thoughts in mind. Um, and so when I pitched this, I hadn't watched it since it aired, you know, week episode by episode, week by week, live like two years earlier. And so I think, I think the sixth episode specifically is what like stuck in my head. 
yeah. and gave me a rosier version of the rest <laughs> of the show. Um, but yeah, there was some stuff like early on in the show that just it didn't it didn't work as well for me as I remember it having worked looking back two years ago. I still like, liked the show, but like sure, it just the first. Like, the first three episodes in general just felt kind of slow, comparatively, mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah. Um, uh, I also felt a lot like Cozy, uh, where uh, I could not remember what was going to happen at certain points, especially like, <laughs> once it hit episode four. Yeah. Uh, well, well, the truth... Truth... That's only a me thing that happens. It's a normal <laughs> human thing that happens. I think, to be honest, I think the truth is... For me, my experience of watching it was, like, because the trope felt so obvious to me. Because I was like, this is Willy Wonka. Like, th this is the Wizard of Oz. Like, I think that is the, the most obvious thing. That's the thing that it felt to me of, like, all these people are, like, happy workers of Oz. And I'm like, they, they're all brainwashed. Or they're all, you know, like... It, it was so clear. Like, it was so clear the judge was going to be evil. Like, this is not me being good at analyzing media. This is, like, what the show is doing. Yeah. So, like, none of the middle stuff felt important. It was all just kind of like, I know where it's going. So this is all kind of, like, filler to get to the end. This this show was, like, one of the first shows I watched that I was like, I kind of think this would have been better if it was literally just a movie. Like yeah, or a I honestly, I mean, it kind of no, is a mini. It is a mini series. It's not though because it, le <laughs> it doesn't even like resolve it at the end. Yeah, yeah, it's that's true. It's not resolved at the that's end. Fair. It does end on a cliffhanger. But the, the I, I was kind of like I felt kind of the same. Of like I the pacing was not necessarily slow, but mm -hmm. because it is set up in this way. I'm like, I know this is all filler. Like, I, I know Loki survives to the end, and I know that, like, it, he's going to get to the bottom of these people who are doing it. So, like, the journey to get there doesn't feel like it matters that much. And the journey itself, and, like, maybe it's good, it's it's different if the journey's really good, but the journey was kind of bleh. Like, overall... I thought the characters in this show were really weak. Like, I don't think Tom Hiddleston did a great job acting as Loki. I think he overacts a lot. I think there's a lot of, like, he feels very melodramatic in a show where everyone else... He feels like he's in a different show from everyone else. And, like, maybe he's supposed to feel like that a little bit. That's even kind of the vibe I always got, is that, like, that was, like that was his whole character that that's how that character has always been is like, he's like a God like, in the realm of normal people. Yeah. Per, like trying to be even bigger than he actually is and whatnot like that, like through, through all of his appearances throughout the Marvel stuff, like it seems like that's where they've wanted his character to land. Yeah. I just think like, if you're going to do that trope, if you're going to do the, like, you know, the way they try to portray him, the way, like, Mobius sees him, and the way that when he's, like, being the most honest that he is, is, like, an insecure kid of, like, somebody who's acting out to try to get attention and acting out to try to do the thing, then I need a little bit more, like, 
I don't know, humanity? And I get that he's a god, but like, I don't know. It just didn't, maybe the dialogue's clunky, maybe whatever, but it just didn't, I didn't feel anything for it. And maybe it's just because like, I'm not a Loki guy. I didn't, I've never thought Loki was like the most compelling villain of all time. But like, I was just, the whole time I was just sort of like, okay. Like the best parts of the show are when Loki's not on screen. The, the best parts of the show are Mobius talking to the judge. Scratch that. The best parts of the show are Mobius. Um, yeah. <laughs> Owen Wilson yeah. as Mobius, the agent. I would have much preferred a Loki-less version of Loki. The, the just, version they make of the Mobius show, the spinoff instead. 100%. Mm-hmm. Like, just if you had just done this show and made it two or three episodes, and it is just Mobius's plot arc. And it has nothing at all to do with Loki. And the variant that he's chasing is anybody else. Or maybe it's a different variant of Mobius instead of a different variant of Loki. Um, I think the show's just like straight up better. It's just like a better. That is the version of the show that's most interesting to me. So like every time he was on screen, I was basically enjoying the show. I think he does a great job being this character. I know who the character is, but I also was like... Yeah, surprised by things that happened. I felt like his dialogue was good. The acting felt good. I'm a I'm a Mobius stan. I'm an M head now, uh, forever. And I was most sad when he was not on screen. Uh, yeah, he was uh, of the characters on the show. I think he was one of two highlights uh, for the different characters. The other one for me being. Uh, Kang the Conqueror, played by Jonathan Majors in the last sure. episode. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's great. I do think... See, like, the most interesting stuff to me is all TVA-focused and not Loki-focused. My like yeah. my The yep. weakest parts of the show to me were the Loki-Sylvie stuff. So Loki, if you're not watching the show and you're just listening to the podcast, Loki finds out that his variant, who is being hunted who's killing tva agents is a a female version of him named sylvie it's never revealed why sylvie is a variant or like what sylvie did to be variant varianted to cause the the time stream to split sylvie doesn't seem to know what she did that caused the times to split off to create a new timeline but was captured as a child from the TVA escaped right before she was like sentenced and ran away and has been running away and trying to take down the TVA ever since um I just like don't buy their relationship it feels so rushed and it felt so stunted it was like they're like in love with each the idea of like Loki falling in love with himself is very funny is like a funny premise (laughs) but like it's so rushed and it felt so like obvious and clunky that I just like, I just, I, I don't have a lot of feelings about it. I just was kind of like, I don't know. Like, it's just sort of like boring. and didn't really work for me. Yeah. There were no like big moments where like it created a feeling of like, Oh, these two should be together or anything like that. It was just kind of like, yep, that's where the show is headed. Yeah. Uh, and broadly speaking, it's kind of why the last episode didn't really work for me. Like, the thing mm. that happens is is they encounter yeah. the man behind the curtain. You found Kang slash He Who Remains, who is the person who created the fake timekeepers to, you know, he reveals that 
way far in the future, a thousand years in the future, he discovered um, all of these different time streams breaking off from each other. He discovered infinite versions of himself. He's He was like some sort of brilliant, you know, in Marvel terms, like Tony Stark level scientist. And then all of the different variants, all the different versions of himself started like fighting for supremacy and fighting to try to take over the other time streams until this current version of him, he who remains one basically, and then created the TVA created the one single time stream, presumably to prevent himself. Well, not presumably he says to, to prevent himself from creating this war millions of years in the future and, or currently because time is meaningless in the show based on the premise. Um, it, then it comes down to like a choice. You know, Sylvie spent her whole life trying to take down the TVA, get back at this organization that kidnapped her for the crime of nothing, for the crime of no reason, really, and destroyed her universe, her time stream where she was born because she wasn't, presumably, she wasn't supposed to be born. Loki's not supposed to be born female. So, like, that is my, is my assumption of what her variant status is. Yeah, because Ravona. Renslayer is the one who took her and she pointedly asked her like why did you like take me to be pruned and she just says I don't remember so like right. we don't know why she was taken, yeah but that seems like the that was the conclusion I thought of seems but. like it but mm-hmm. I, it's um either way it's it's sort of strange and I think the so it comes down to a question of like do they kill this guy who has created this thing, gaslit, killed, destroyed a bunch of time streams? You know, when they when they take a variant and destroy a time stream, it is like destroying that universe, that potential time stream all at once. All of those people, all of the person who was the variant uh, for the crime of uh, for the crime of going off book on a book they didn't know they were supposed to be reading. Um which is bad. He uh, like he says, "I'm a villain. We're all villains, but I'm doing it for a good reason." You know, it's the cl- it's classic villain shit. Um, but like, so do you kill him? And if that happens, then there is no one time stream. So the the there will be a thousand multiverses and a thousand different versions of reality in which all of this guy, all of this Kang, will be around, and eventually he will cause a big multi-dimensional war or do you leave him alive and either just like leave him to keep doing it or take over his job for him and create a new you know reform the tva from the inside um loki as a classic marvel protagonist is in favor of reforming from the inside without violent revolution sylvie is in favor of just killing him and dealing with it as it may. And most of the last episode is this like conflict between Loki and Sylvie. And I, I just, a lot of that last episode, I was just sort of like, I don't feel emotionally invested in their relationship. And so I'm not yeah. that emotionally invested in like what direction this goes. Part of it is also broken by the fact that like I as a person who pay attention to like pop culture know that Kang is the like Marvel Thanos <laughs> of this 
next decade of Marvel or whatever it is. So I'm also like, I kind of like, I didn't know for sure that Sylvie was going to wind up killing him, but like, I kind of know what direction this goes one way or another. Like at, at a certain point, like, you know, when everything is predestined, nothing we do matters, which is a thing that, uh, they say in the show, but it's also kind of how I felt watching the show of like <laughs> when I was watching in the middle, I was like, I, I know they're going to find the the man or men or the organization or whatever it is behind the curtain. So up until that point, don't really care how they get there. And like the kind of the same here of like, they're going to fight or whatever, but ultimately the battle is still going to be with Kang. So like the only thing I would have to grab onto is the, the like relationship that the stakes are not really whether they kill Kang or not. The stakes are like Loki and Sylvie's relationship. But if I don't care about that, then there's not a lot of stakes in the last episode for me. Yeah. For it, it, you know, looking at that last episode, um, I also like the conflict between Loki and Sylvie is not like what I cared about. I, I mostly enjoyed his portrayal of Kang, like just the like kind of insane, eccentric, manic, uh, weird portrayal that he gave that role. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed, really clicked with me. Yeah. Um, and then the uh, cliffhanger at the very end, uh, you know, trying to hook me to get ready for Loki season two whenever if ever that show comes out. Right. Yeah, I think overall, I I have mixed feelings about Kang. So I think Jonathan Majors did a really good job. Like, I think his portrayal of, like, I mean, his vibe is, like, none of this, his vibe is none of this matters. He's like, you know, his whole thing is, like, I hope you leave me alive, because if you don't, there'll be a war forever. But if there's a war forever, it'll be me. So, like, I live no matter what. Like, none of this matters. Well, I'm basically like, you know, when this version of me comes back around again, I'll just do this again. Right. And control the time stream again. So. Right. Sort of like if if you kill me, you will you will send us on the path that we have already been on. And then yeah. whatever, which, of course, is not what's going to happen because they I, I do, have to fight Kang. But like, right. That's what like believes. his uh, his villain notion, whatever of like. Oh well, but you don't want to deal with the other versions of me because they're so much more bad. And it's like, well, I mean, but you clearly were the one who conquered the most because you literally destroyed every other version of everyone there could ever be. So right. So I don't know what the yeah what what is possibly the worst version. <laughs> but they right. They, the uh, problem with a multiverse generally is that nothing really has stakes because they can always just like find another timeline or something. Yeah, well, this is the problem with comic book. Well, yeah, multi exactly what you said. You are correct. Of like, yeah, there's always a new. You can always resurrect anyone. There's always any version. I mean, that's the thing, right? Loki's dead, and this is this show. Broadly speaking, its main goals are a introduce Kang, a two bring Loki back because marvel desperately needs as many of its returning stars as they can get (laughs) and uh tom hiddleston seems happy to play loki forever so i think that's a you know that that is the goal of this show so i think the amazon conundrum where like amazon is running out of employees because they've like picked all the fruit in all of their major labor markets that they can i feel like marvel is yeah you know just inching closer and closer day by day to 
having exhausted the actor pool. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. It's it's very, very close to that. Um, but, like, overall, I thought Jonathan Majors did a good job. I will say, like, his portrayal of this character is, again, exactly what I expected. When you think about, like, The Wizard of Oz or Willy Wonka or Snowpiercer or, like, this trope, this is kind of how the man behind the curtain always is. It's always just, like, a dude, and it's he's always scary in the way in like calmness in the way that like this has been a huge journey for everyone else and for him he's just been sitting here watching it that's the thing that's scary about this character and that's what he did so like his performance didn't strike me as being like uh like his interpretation was exactly what i expected it didn't it wasn't particularly noteworthy to me but i do think he did a really good job of it it was an interesting uh I guess it wasn't that interesting, but I thought it was good. Was my take. Okay. No, that's fair. Yeah, because, you know, if you're coming from that perspective, I can see how that would, you know, track with other similar tropes and stuff like that. Other similar yeah. versions of, like, this character and other media. But Again, once when they got to the all the different versions of Loki's... I felt fully like Wizard of Oz pilled. It felt fully like we're in the magical land where the full, like, <laughs> you know, it's not literally the same thing, but it is uh, the vibes were that of like, I'm journeying with my friends across the land to, to see the, see the wizard and make him send us home. And it's like, it's, that's what it is basically. And so I was expecting somebody similar to Oz and that's more or less what, you got it. maybe a little more villainous, but like the vibes are pretty like Aussie. If you mixed Oz and Willy Wonka, basically, and like, <laughs> yeah, that's that's basically what it is. So I think it was I, I think it was pretty decent. Again, broadly speaking, overall, the strength and weaknesses of the show lied on like who Loki was with. When Loki was with Sylvie, it was pretty weak. When Loki was with Mobius, it was with pretty strong. When Loki was with Crocodile Loki, it was an experience. Um, <laughs> and, like, when Loki was by himself, it was kind of blah. Like, that was the... Yeah. When it tried to do dramatic, intense storytelling was the stuff where I was just like, it's... Uh, yeah, it just didn't really, like, work much on me. Yeah, especially if you, like, don't care about Loki as a character to begin with. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it doesn't do a ton to like make you it it tries to like force it, I think, like in the first episode, him like seeing his whole timeline play out the way it's meant to and stuff like that. Um, yeah. You know, I think tries to like force that a little bit. Uh, like getting you to care more about him as a person, him as a character, but um, but I think if, the if... big the big problem is that like I've already seen this. Like Loki's yeah. journey in the original movies is to realize that like he's a self centered asshole and that like he's a child acting out and to like grow up and get out of it. Like he the whole first episode is supposed to be really big and emotional, but the whole journey is the journey that he already went on in the movies I already watched. So I was kind of like, I don't, all you're doing is getting, uh, Avengers era Loki up to the point that Loki was at when he was killed. 
But, like, I already watched that, so I don't need to watch that again. Like, that journey is not that compelling to me anymore, because I literally already saw that with this character, with this actor. So, like... Yeah, it's it's interesting, because it, it basically makes it... Like, he becomes the character that he ends the series with when he dies in the latest Avengers movie. Like, it's not like he be- it ends up being, like a different version of the character really based on uh like his different experience it it ends up being he's kind of the same character which right. i think is less interesting yeah he he becomes the the anti-hero i mean act, the the thing is like he becomes a hero which again is where he was when he gets killed by thanos is he's yeah. done the full turn from villain to anti-hero to hero and like villain to anti-hero to kind of like shithead helper to hero. And <laughs> he does that in the space of three to four episodes in the show that he did in three to four movies that he was in, in the, the thing. And it's roughly the same amount of screen time and roughly similar beats that get him to that point. <laughs> so like, it's not bad. It's just kind of like, you know, that my vibe was just like, I've seen this basically already. I will say one idea that was fascinating to me. Loki goes on a rant about how, like, he learns about the TVA. No one in the universe knows the TVA exists. So Loki finds out he has sort of an existential crisis in terms of, like, determinism. There's one timeline that everyone the TVA knows, and you can just look up what will happen when. Um, and he's like, if, if nothing I do says or matter, and, and, and you find out that in the end, at the end of time, everything dies. Yes. Uh, if you know everything that's going to happen, and you also know everything dies at the end, and there is an end you can point to, that is interesting, because what does it mean to be a TVA agent who doesn't experience time linearly, who can go anywhere? It means there's no purpose, not even to anything at all. It means there's no purpose to anything even today. Like, none of it matters to the extent of, like, there's a point where Mobius is like, you know, I love the work. And it's like, the work doesn't matter. Like, it, none of this matters. <laughs> Everything will die in the end. And also, the end is happening now because you experience time not literally. I don't know. Like, my brain sort of exploded. And I'm like, this is what, like, I want the Mobius show. I want the show that's yeah. just the TVA. And I don't need the pathos stuff. I don't need the Loki Sylvie stuff. Just, like, give me that and i'm so sold um because that is the thing i could like nerd out over forever um and i i sort of wish there was more of that but i also know they're making a season two they clearly set up a another loki and owen wilson hangout session show potentially so i'll i'll keep my mind open and maybe we will, you know, because we now we we did see a different Mobius, so maybe we will get, you know, Mobius and his alter ego, other Mobius, uh, getting to meet each other. Of and all course, that. So hopefully, we'll get, hopefully, we'll get with double the, the screen time in some way. There you go. They could, yes, the two of the, the two Mobiuses can ride off on jet skis into the sunset together. Or just the get the Wilson season. brothers to do it, and it'll it'll be a blast. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but that's the big stuff uh, for me. I think. 
Yeah, I mean, honestly, like rewatching the show, I didn't have a ton of other notes that I took beyond that. Um, you know, I still I enjoyed my time rewatching it, mm-hmm. uh, but it was it was not it wasn't as good of a rewatch as um, like WandaVision was for me when I rewatched that when I pitched that to you again. Like sure. I still really enjoyed that show when I rewatched and pitched that to you. And like I liked this on a rewatch, and it mm-hmm. made me interested and somewhat excited for when the season two does come out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I definitely agree with some of uh, what you've said on like the misses that it had, mm-hmm. um, just like being not as interested in some of the other stuff. I yeah, if if they did like you know they had like the Agents of Shield, if they did. Yeah like an agents of the TVA TV show. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. I'd be like led that. by Owen Wilson. Yeah. Uh, I think that would be a good, a good little spinoff for them to do. Yeah. You also, also the watched saga it, Cozy. of alligator Loki or whatever. <laughs> Cozy, you didn't like the extra Lokis though, right? Well, Cozy I just watched think it. it's we talked overdone. About it very briefly. <laughs> like sure. I, how many multiverse Marvel things have I seen where there's an animal version of the hero? Like I just, I feel like I've seen this show before. Yeah. It's very it's, similar. A lot of the stuff is very similar to like the Spider-Man multiverse movie, but not as charming. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, because Loki isn't as charming. You know, he's not supposed to be. He's all, he's like arrogant and obnoxious. Like he, it's different than Spider-Man. Like, I mean, overall, I liked the show. I feel like so much of it, I also, I texted Cody this. I was like, there's no, the timekeepers aren't real. I predicted it from episode two. Uh, I knew they weren't real, but because the way they talk about them, it's just like very obvious they're not real. The And then I was like, but to Tim's point, like once you know that, you don't need three episodes or four episodes of like them trying to find the timekeepers. Cause I was like, well, they're trying to find the, them, but we all know they're not real. So then they spent like a full episode. I didn't care about trying to get through the void. And then they were, it was like the final episode was kind of interesting, but like, it was just, I like, I feel like all of it could have been two episodes and then give me three episodes of whatever season two is going to be. And then like call it a mini series. I think i made it better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like that episode, that whole fifth episode, I feel like should have been half the time of seeing like Loki and Sylvie try to figure out enchanting the big bad and replace that half of the time with just more time of Mobius going back to the TVA and meeting up yeah. with Ravona and like breaking the news to everyone about what's actually going on and all that stuff. Yeah, and like... I don't know about you guys. Episode five was so dark on my the TV I was watching on. I literally couldn't see most of it. <laughs> episode five? Yeah, I don't know. Because when they did the mm. recap of five in episode six, it was like brighter. But something like happened to the TV when I tried to watch episode five that I literally felt like I was watching season six of Game of Thrones. It was so dark. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think that was the TV. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't, I can't say I had that problem. <laughs> okay, well... Then that really ruins episode five for me. It's we really like need to get a new TV. Impossible is the to see. Uh, and but you just I missed all sales. I know. Oh, sorry, sorry. Big game sales. I can't say. Yep, the, watch out. The trademark term. 
Cozy, bleep that out. Okay, sure. Uh, so yeah, I generally, again, it was like, I like this type of show, like, so I thought it was good, but I was like, at the same time, it just felt like not very novel. I was like kind of hoping it would be, I wanted it to surprise me and it just didn't. Yeah. No, I think I, you know, on a rewatch, uh, I think that's very fair. A very fair assessment of the show. Cause I kind of, I kind I think I was looking back at it with rose tinted glasses more than I, uh, more than it deserved, I think. Um, but, uh, if you guys don't have anything else, uh, with all that said, I think all that's left, Tim, would you give Loki a yaw or a nah? Uh, I'd actually give Loki a yaw. So I think, I think I liked Loki more than WandaVision because, yes, because for as much as I've dunked on Loki, like, WandaVision was an interesting show that was, like, doing something new and then, like, devolved into a, like, classic-ass Marvel show. And outside of, like, the fight scene in front of He Who Remains, Loki was doing something different than I've seen Marvel do before and stayed different throughout. Like... I guess the little, like, climactic fight scene at the end is kind of, like, a, a Marvel thing. But, like, yes, it was tropey. Yes, it was super predictable. Yes, it was a story I've seen done better a bunch of times other places. But, like, I think it did it fine. I was charmed by Mobius. Like, watching the show, yes, it went too long, but it's six episodes that were basically 35 minutes each. Like... It wasn't too long. Like, it was a pretty quick watch. I didn't... By the end... By the end of WandaVision, it left me... I remember saying it in the end. I I basically liked WandaVision, but I left it being like, ugh. I can see... I just wish they would have, like, had the courage to make the better show that they almost made. And, like... They they made the show they were gonna make in, in this, and, like... It had enough charm to, like, get me through the stuff that didn't work. And the stuff that didn't work, I didn't think it was executed badly. It was just, like, this is the casualty of needing to connect this to a broader world and, like, wanting to give Tom Hiddleston a romance. Yeah, Like, you don't have to do that, but you do that because it's his, it's his specific show and he's not going to sign on for more movies if you don't get to let him stretch his wings and like these are the politics that happen when you connect something to a like the interpersonal politics when you connect something to a broader world so i'm like it's weaker for being a marvel show but it's not just another marvel show it felt like a different thing it felt much more like owen wilson pilled uh and like again i prefer the version of the show that's just mobius but they're never gonna make that so like (laughs) I'll I'll take it at the end of the day. Am I going to think about this forever? Is it a particularly good example of these tropes? No. But, like, I'll probably check out season two. I don't know if I'll watch it through. If it goes deep into, like, Loki and Sylvie teaming up to try to stop Kang, I'll be not that interested. But if it's, like, Loki and Mobius buddy cop movie, I'll be deeply interested. (laughs) So, you know, we'll see. That's fair. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely planning on watching season two, uh, whether or not I'll get to it, you know, when it comes out. Clearly, I haven't made the time for all the other Marvel shows that have come out that I've, you know, sometimes heard good things about. 
uh, it remains to be seen, but I, I will check out season two for sure. Um, cause I, yeah. yeah, I am interested to see what happens, but I think, you know, I'm interested to see what happens with most of the Marvel stuff slash the movies. So cool. We'll, we'll see, but glad to hear it at least, uh, was an enjoyable watch for, even if it, you know, has some room for improvement. Yeah. And now it's time to pass it over to Cozy for the middle segment. Cozy, what do you have for us this episode? Um, so we recently finished most of season three of Love is Blind, other than the new episodes that like just came out of the After the Altar. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Tim and I watch with uh, Cody and his wife, so we all watched it together. And I have some hot takes on Love is Blind. I have some oh, opinions, no. and I would like to share them with you guys slash the audience. I'm here for Great. it. Okay. Any spoilers for Love is Blind? Um, I mean, like, vaguely, but it's it's not, like, on about specific couples or anything. It's about, like, the show broadly. Got it. So, like, tonal spoilers, I guess, but not, not like, specific points. Okay. Sure. So, the Lachey's are the hosts of Love is Blind, and they have Love is Blind, which they pitched as, like, a love experiment to try to prove if love is blind or not. And then they also have an, the ultimatum, which is also a social experiment about if which has a premise that is like wild and doesn't even work on paper where they bring in couples who like one person wants to get married and then like god they have them either no they like are together for a bit and then they swap the couples around to like for a new partner and then at the end it's like well do you want to marry your original partner or not which is just, like, a, the weirdest premise ever. So, basically, someone needs to, like, tell the Lachey's they are not, like, psychologists doing experiments. <laughs> like, they are just reality show hosts creating drama. And, like, that's fine. Like, you can be that. But you have to stop positioning these as, like, experiments to, like, prove something. Because it's getting out of hand. Yeah, it's it's not... There's no, like... Ex- there's no thesis or theory that they're testing by whatever they're experimenting on. I mean, it, uh, you know, there's at least m- maybe some hint of that in Love is Blind. Um, Love is Blind, I can understand on paper, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. of like we're trying to test if Love is really blind. Like, okay, sure. But, like, yeah, the ultimatum is, like, absolutely bonkers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we started that one. Uh, we did not finish that one. Uh, also, here's my problem. Maybe you're gonna get to this. Okay, I'll let you get through your hot takes, and then I will. I'll give my love is blind hot take. Okay. Because <laughs> I don't want to steal your hot take if we have the All same right, hot sure. take. Um. Okay, so this was more of a gripe with season two, and I'm just like so glad it's not happening as much in season three. But in season two, there was a real tendency to refer to love is blind as a proven system for finding (laughs) successful love and it just like killed me every time because i was like two couples have been married for a year because of this show that is not a proven system in any shape way shape or form also like the sample size is so small you cannot assume that they will even be together in it's been a year they could just be like i don't know like you that's it was anyway also, because I do think that I 
saw this stat, I think, on um, actually that the reality show that is actually has the most successful couples is not like The Bachelor or any of the dating shows. It's Big Brother. Mm. Um, so, but I, anyway, so Love is Blind is not like a proven system for finding love. It's a reality show for creating drama. So at least the contestants have stopped referring it to as like this magical uh they kept saying trust the process and that was killing me because i was like what process (laughs) none of this has been shown to work in any real way you just like think it might work i don't know yeah i would argue it's been shown to not work because you have a very very high most of the couples so i would venture this i can't remember all of them off the top of my head i think I'm of the opinion that most of them, more often they break up after proposing to someone else um, Mm -hmm. because they don't like how the other person looks. Whether they admit that overtly (laughs) or whether that just is the vibe of just like you can tell that one person's just like not really into it and then they find things to nitpick about the other person. Like, Mm -hmm. it doesn't work. Like, they don't... Sometimes they luck into working it. If you if you find a random sampling of like twenty something year olds who are all roughly in the same realm of conventional physical attractiveness and all want to get married to someone soon, odds are that two you know a broken clock is right every once in a while. Like you know, <laughs> yeah. And they like all live in the same place. So there's not like a like difficulty factor of like they all have to uproot their lives or anything right to the to like a huge extent like obviously some of them move and stuff but like it's different to like move and keep the same job versus like moving cross country or something which is again like most of these other reality shows they're not people from the same area yeah um yeah um also i you guys have heard me rant about this before, but I understand that they have to have the weddings at the end of the show, but I think it would do better if they just didn't do that. If they just, like, let them go on date after the show instead of forcing them to, like, try to get married in a month. So, like, you think the, the relationships testing, would be better or the show would be better? The relationships. Oh, yeah, yeah for the sure. The show would be worse. I think <laughs> the that, you worse. know, I know. The, having the ridiculous, stupid drama is, like, part of what makes the show... Yeah. Um, Because, like, all of us were, like, you know, we were sitting on the couch trying to figure out, like, oh, who's going to say yes, who's going to say no. Like, it adds that that tension and drama to us as watchers. But, like, yeah, making a better experience for everyone who's on the show, (laughs) uh, that would be made much better by not having having the wedding and just not having the stress of having to think about, like... A forever marriage. And, and, like... Just things like, oh, there was so much focus for Cole on, like, his family wasn't going to be at the wedding. Yeah. And it's like, if this was just pitched as, like, a, great, now you've met this person who you know you click with in one way, go and date right. and see if you can make it work. Mm-hmm. Like, it would right. not have yeah. seemed as insane to his family. Sure. Yeah. And I think if we're actually trying to test the premise is love blind, I think... Pushing them into... 
there's so many other variables at play here that are not true in normal relationships that I like it's you're not testing any <laughs> you're not testing that theory even though we're I know that I already set up at the first hot take that this is a false pretense anyway but this is even more so why it's a false pretense <laughs> you guys don't need to listen to me rant about this more you've heard it enough because you have to watch the show the, with me <laughs> you're saying that the uh the love is blind part of love is blind is not the only variable that they uh controlled for no. well here's here's the thing here's well, my no, hot they, take they didn't control any variables yes they don't love each other you you cannot <laughs> love someone like what they have replicated is not love what they've replicated is dating apps like the the experience of being on a dating app is not really seeing someone and just getting to know a picture of who they present over communication either over voice or over text what they're doing is they're fast tracking the dating app experience and then saying you have to pick someone to get married to Right. That's not love. That's not what that is. And yeah, it's like, like a swipe they, right for marriage. Sure. <laughs> and like they condition them to believe that that's what it is. And they talk about things like their families and their hopes and dreams. So like it feels deep, but like that isn't what love is. That's just like attachment or like infatuation. And then you are convinced because you're told in this experiment you have formed an emotional connection. But what's happened is the version of you that you are trying to present like you would present on a dating app has formed a an, an emotional connection to a version of someone else that is they are presenting also. So like you so often it's someone pretending to be who they think they want to be and looking for someone they think they should want to look for instead of just like being a person looking for a person. And, yeah. like, that is the thing that, like, is, it will never work. Because it's not, there are not two people making an emotional connection, fundamentally. Whether it's love or not, they are not making a real emotional connection. So there's no single variable being tested for successfully. <laughs> so, like, there's no, I watch the show, I will continue to watch the show. But yeah. it's not real. Like, it's fake. Like, it's not... I don't know. It's That's just a rant. pretense to create drama. Yes. Uh, that brings and, us to and the next. reason. The reason. Sorry. The reason <laughs> that Big Brother is the most successful one is because you are a person stuck with other people in sh- close quarters with nothing to do for a hundred days. the The problem yeah. with Love Is Blind is that it's is not that you can't see people, but it's the time. It's you don't actually have time to get to know anyone at all. But in yeah. Big Brother, there's nothing to do except get to know people and get to mm-hmm. know people who they are at default when they're just hanging out, just talking at like as they are. So it's not surprising to me at all that those yeah. relationships would do better because it's like you're just you you have so much time. There's no like. Yeah, there's you're not you can't get caught up in the moment because the moment itself is boring as hell. <laughs> that's that's like the bachelor is the same way because most relationships on the bachelor and bachelorette that whole franchise don't end up making it really either for the same problem is like all of the you know 
say on The Bachelorette, all the 30 guys or whatever have a ton of time to hang out with each other. But the only time they see The Bachelorette is either on a group date, which I think is like once a week, or uh, if they get chosen for an individual date, they get a date, maybe two, until you make it to like the final four, and then you get like a couple more dates. But it go, it's it ends up being like a grand total of five dates, and then yeah. hey, do you want to get married? Which is why like Bachelor in Paradise, I think, is more successful among that franchise uh, between the three, like Bachelor in Paradise, Bachelor, and Bachelorette. Because Bachelor in Paradise is the same way. It's like two months straight of just hanging out on the beach and having nothing else to do besides hang out on the beach yeah, and like chill. And so you have so much more time to like actually develop a relationship of some kind. Yeah. Um, okay. So my next hot take is that the couple should have access to a therapist out once they're outside <laughs> of the pods, even though I don't care that it's impractical and it shouldn't be on the TV show, but the way they are, like, some of these contestants talk about, like, or contestant, whatever, the people on the show, cast members. They're contestants. Contestants. Um, Baby, talk yeah, about, actually. like, relationship red flags, like, they're good things is, like, just, like, concerning to me. Like, I'm a little worried for some of these people where they're like, I'm so glad we fought because now we know how to work through conflict. It's like, you've been dating <laughs> two weeks and you had, like, a knockdown, drag out fight with your significant other you're getting married to in a month and you think this is a good thing. This is not... No, you need to go to therapy. <laughs> now, so, do they? Uh, do you want them to have an individual therapist, a couples therapist, or both? Like, what? Honestly, do you think is... I think they need both. At least a couples <laughs> therapist would be yeah. good, though. Like, if we're gonna accelerate this to this extent, like, give them some support. I, I don't know. Really, yeah. just throwing them into a shark tank. Uh, I mean, with you could, no you could life vest. sort of, sort of like. Thread the needle and give them a therapist and put it on the show. You could you could do the. Would it be as effective as a private therapist? Of course not. But you could do you could do the queer eye thing of when they sit down with the the one isn't one of oh, the queer right. eye guys like the therapist guy who they like all talks kind of take turns doing it. Okay, but like you could do that. I'm just like let's have have a, make it a person. Make it like a. They're a character in the same way that the Lachey's are a character and they take turns mm-hmm. talking to the couples and talking to people individually. And like you would get instead of having them do the like little talking heads to the camera, have them do it to like a therapist who can who can say back to them. That is not a good thing to say or like <laughs> I think it'd be fascinating. It both would be helpful and it would also make for better television. So I think they just should yeah. definitely do that. Would okay. it be, again, better if they gave them, like, a real therapist instead of, like, a celebrity therapist who could be on camera? Of course. But, like, <laughs> at least, at least do the, I mean, at ideally least, like, both. Make me give me the TV like one and give of... me the real one. <laughs> yeah, healthy feel, advice is all. I feel like it can't be the Lachey's, though, because I feel no. like no, you'd no. have too much of the, uh, oh, just, you know, just stick it out and everything will work out. And... E- to be clear, even in my version, there's still like a licensed therapist. It's just like oh, is a, they yeah. become like a character on the show in the <laughs> okay. same way the Lachey's are. I yeah, I'm not Dr. saying Oz let's get like, who was well, the, no, who was no, the no, therapist no, no. in season one? <laughs> well, that was uh, not, just a cast not real member. therapist, Rory. but it was just a cast member. Yes, Rory, just bring yes. him back, get him licensed and then bring him back. 
low-key hilarious if they if rory was down to become a licensed therapist it would be legendary Mm -hmm. for people who maybe don't watch love is blind (laughs) you're probably not getting a lot out of this middle segment but rory was a contestant on the first season who just like was always listening to people talk about their problems uh while they were in the pods so it was very very good yeah he had almost spent almost no time it seemed like dating in the pods and almost every time helping the main cast members talk about how intense their feelings were for this person they have talked to three times (laughs) over the course of three days Mm. yeah um okay final hot take uh Vanessa Lachey should guest host all reunion shows for reality TV because she actually asked the questions I want the answers to. (laughs) (laughs) And I think every reunion, Big Brother would be better if Vanessa Lachey hosted. That's honestly most of the reality show I actually watch. Uh, I'm sure The Bachelor or Bachelor would be better if their reunion shows were hosted by Vanessa Lachey. I just can't imagine one that wouldn't be better. Yeah, ultimately, both of the Lachey's are terrible at hosting the show just on the day-to-day basis, but they're great at the reunions. They're so willing to just dig their little grubby hands in the dirt and pull out the drama. Yeah. Yeah, because I think when we were watching the show together, we had mentioned that, too, that, like, it seems like they're invested in the show and the drama that they've created, that they just want to keep stoking the fire but also, yeah. like, call out people if they have been ridiculous on the show. Yeah. yeah. They're not afraid of conflict in any way. They'll just no. bring everything out. I mean, I, th- I think they're reasonably good at, like, diffusing it when it's, like, going too far, too, like, and reining it back in, because I think it can become a pile-on-one-person situation <laughs> pretty quickly. But, uh, yeah, no, they're very good at, like walking that fine line in the reunion shows of like asking the tough questions but not letting it get too out of hand yeah so that's all of my hot takes uh tim did you already say your hot take or do you have another one i went pretty well on my rant already about how i i think the (laughs) entire premise of the show is flawed i mean yeah it's fair again still watch it for the drama but oh yeah i'm excited for the four of us to get together and watch uh the after the altar and then inevitably a season four i'm sure it'll be a hot mess yep. as it always is mm-hmm. all right tim i'm going to pass it over to you what do you have to pitch for me this episode yes so i have something to pitch for you it's going to require a little bit of a a run-up um and a little bit of a rant so strap in because for for me to talk about the thing that I want to talk about to pitch to you, I first need to talk about Harry Potter. So okay, it's impossible to talk about Harry Potter. We're recording this on February 13th, 2023, mm-hmm. uh, without talking about Hogwarts Legacy. Hogwarts Legacy came out a couple of days ago. It looks like it is on track to be one of the biggest video games of all time. It's breaking concurrent viewership records for single player games on Twitch. Um, I will not be playing Hogwarts Legacy. Not not now or in the future. Not necessarily because of a boycott. Obviously, lots of if you've been online and or are aware of Hogwarts Legacy, you are definitely aware of the fact that 
many different groups have advocated for a boycott because of J.K. Rowling's like reactionary politics and anti-trans rhetoric. Um, mm-hmm. You, you meaning the listener and or you can feel any way you want about like the boycott itself. I think um, I've talked in the past about listening to Waypoint, which is Vice's video game podcast. And I think Waypoint does a great job like dissecting the issue. I think Ren specifically on the Waypoint podcast, she does a really good breakdown. I think I agree with a lot of her feelings, which are basically like, you know. It doesn't matter, ultimately, like, whether you play it or not. It doesn't make a material difference on people's lives, but it does say something about your values as to, like, what you do or do not and choose to consume. I basically think that is correct. Um, But that's not why I won't be playing it. I won't be playing it because Harry Potter is bad. Um, (laughs) Cody, what is... This is not a trick question. This is not me trying to trap you. But what is your experience with Harry Potter and or like personal history and or vibe today? Um, let's see. I've read I think I read the first book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we had all the other books and my brother read them and I just never got around to it. Sure. <clears throat> um, we've watched all the movies well, I had seen all the movies, and then uh, Kayla came from a household that did not allow Harry Potter or other sure. similar media, so then I was the uh, bad influence that <laughs> had her watch all of Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, the and, and, you books. know, now she's, uh, you know, playing D&D with us and chopping things heads off. And, right. Uh, yeah, multiple yeah, we're, every session. We're also the terrible influences. <laughs> yeah, mm. uh, yeah, it's a it's a group effort. Sure, um, <laughs> but I mean, generally, I've I've always enjoyed the Harry Potter movies as uh, like as media. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I mean, I don't put them on my list of like you know my favorite movies of all time or anything that like that, but. You know, going sure. back and rewatching them, I still enjoy a rewatch of the movies. Sure, um, they're they're fun. They're not like, you know, the most mentally engaging movies ever, but they're they're sure. a fun watch. Sure. So I grew up with Harry Potter. I like I didn't. They're not like the first book I read or anything like that, but I have very distinct memories of like my dad reading the second Harry Potter book to me, like I devoured them when I was in middle school Mm -hmm. and like really, really loved them. And I think over time, yeah, cause you also were like super, super into them. Right. Yeah. And I loved like, I want, I had a, I was a Ravenclaw or whatever. I identified with that house and I had merch and I thought Hermione was great. Cause I loved to read when I was a kid. Like, (laughs) Like, uh, yeah, I strongly, like, I love those books when I was growing up, for sure. Okay. Sure. So, I have stepped away from Harry Potter for multiple reasons. And I think the fir- I have decided that Harry Potter is bad. I believe Harry Potter to be a negative thing as a whole for two main reasons. The first is its politics. So, we've talked about... We talked about this a lot when I talk through Old Man's War of like 
you can wash your hands of a relationship between a creator and a work sometimes depending on what a work is you know there there is a um socialists will tell you that there is no ethical consumption under capitalism that at the end of the day everything is tainted by someone i love arsenal i've ranted about it forever Arsenal's owner is a guy who got rich because he married the Walmart heiress and has donated billions of dollars to Donald Trump. Uh, You know, I own an iPhone. Everybody knows the terrible things that Apple has done. I know that a cow is as smart as a three-year-old and I still will eat cheeseburgers all the time. Like, you are making moral compromises as you do. However, the impact of a creator who has regressive bad politics in a work like this can't be ignored and it comes i cannot ignore it and it comes from a bunch of different ways there are the like very memed upon things like the names of minority characters the idea of like the most prominent black character in the books is named kingsley shacklebolt the idea that like the only asian character the only like uh, Chinese or Japanese character in the book is named Cho Chang. Like mm-hmm. the the total lack of care to anyone who is not white and British. The idea that like the two Indian characters in the book are the Patil sisters, like yeah, is is blatant and it casts people who are non-white as being like supporting character or like you know it's clear the author didn't give them much thought. There's not a lot of thought given to non-white characters broadly. Um, it it's comes very tokenizing through. Tokenizing too. Yeah, it's tokenizing. It's you know she clearly wanted to. She clearly realized that if you had a school of only white people, it suddenly starts to look like a a segregated school. Um, <laughs> but didn't really want to like think about anyone who wasn't white for any longer than she absolutely needed to. Yeah. Um, you know, it comes through in things like the house elf enslavement. The idea that like there is a cast of people who are comfortable being slaves who are like people i think people Mm -hmm. have criticized them a lot about like portraying um elves as about like slavery and exploitation just the idea that like a certain group of people could be happy being enslaved is a problematic thing but the thing that is it also just like reinforces a sort of like biological determinism the idea that like a group of people or a race or whatever are away is like a racist belief and i don't mean racist in terms of like it's racially prejudiced but it is racist like it's a belief that is not born out of reality and it's lazy, and it's bad writing, and it's damaging. Like, the, it, this is a belief that people have in the real world, that, like, normal, reasonable people believe that some groups of people are, like, genetically predisposed to be away, and, like, doing something, writing characters like this is, like, a regressive, bad, harmful way to write characters. Um, this also comes through in the goblins, who are, as many people have talked about, blatant anti-semitic jewish stereotypes um in every way 
There's a major plot of Hogwarts Legacy, where one particular goblin is rebelling against the Wizarding World's insistence that goblins not be allowed to use magic, and part of your job in Hogwarts Legacy is to put down the goblin rebellion. Um, goblins mm. are also stealing babies, uh, which is a classic Jew- anti-Semitic Jewish stereotype from Europe. Um, so lots of lots of just like really regressive bad beliefs that like bleed through that you know are things that were not offensive in 2000 i did not read this as a child there were people writing about how this was bad even when we were kids but like i didn't read them as being like openly you know i didn't understand that it was bad when it was a kid but like that is almost more insidious it's almost more insidious that like these things just sort of happen and you don't understand them and so like that is a thing i cannot like consume these works and like pretend like this doesn't exist i can't just like pretend like these people hogwarts doesn't run on the back of slavery today and that is just sort of thought of as being fine like hogwarts is evil (laughs) the people who work and go there are evil Mm-hmm. And so, like, I can't root for that. And so, like, the world as itself is uh, poisoned. So that's thing one. That is one thing. The second one is Harry Potter sucks. Like, <laughs> the the quality of the novels is bad. And so, like, the thing that J.K. Rowling did is she created a protagonist who was deeply easy to see yourself in. She created somebody who was talented but not the most talented who people expected a lot of things from but like was just trying to ultimately just like a quirky kid it's almost like a horoscope where everyone can see pieces of themselves in harry and this my theory is that like it became popular because the world had lots of little fun things to imagine and Harry is a really easy character for an 11-year-old, regardless of where you come from, to identify with a part of him. Um, The world of Harry Potter is batshit crazy in a way that is so discordant with reality that it is hard for me as an adult to take any of it seriously. Like, beyond Marvel shenanigans, beyond, like anything else just to like quickly run through some high level bullet points the school has four houses and one of them is just like bad kids let's even forget about the fact that you're (laughs) sorting children into what kind of person they will be forever when they're 11 can you remember what you were like when you were 11 i'm very different like yeah crazy arthur weasley doesn't know what a rubber duck is sorry but like how like These details (laughs) seem insignificant, but, like, it shows how little care is taken in terms of, like, figuring out the details of this world and how these people work. There are so many details and none of them make sense. It's in the books that Hogwarts didn't get get plumbing until the 1800s. Ancient Greeks had plumbing. Like, if you can build a castle, you can build plumbing. Why would Hogwarts not have plumbing? It doesn't make any sense. It's just, like, random shit you throw together that, like, is not a thing. 
There's a whole thing about how you can't transfigure food, presumably because if you could, then everybody would be mad that the wizards didn't solve uh, world hunger. But like, it doesn't make any sense. People use owls to transport letters, despite the fact that they can teleport instantly at will with no resources. Wizards don't seem to know what dentists are at some point. Not even going to handle that one. They're, they don't learn math or English at any point. Not sure how these... They go to Hogwarts at age 11. If I didn't learn any more English or math after starting at age 11, I could barely read. Uh, the entire United States has one school that everyone goes to, which is described as being smaller than Hogwarts. The name of Japan's wizarding school translates directly to magic place uh, in English. Uh, the faculty uh, students regularly die or are damaged forever at Hogwarts. And that's just sort of like normal. Fred and George saw that Ron was sleeping with a man named Peter on their Marauders map for years and didn't say anything like it goes beyond just like cinema sins shit. The world is so nonsensical as to be more like a Garfield-style Saturday morning cartoon than like a world of any kind. That I have no interest in like pretending like it has value of any meaningful kind. It really feels like someone's first D&D campaign yes, they tried to world does. build for and they were like, picked everything from the internet they thought was fun and cool and then the characters the pcs arrive and are like uh none of this makes sense like you have this journey proposed for them to go on the big like to fight a big bad and they just like divert because it the logically that makes no sense for them to follow your plot or whatever like it's a classic thing that happens for new gms but uh jk rowling didn't have uh, got to write the PCs also, so they just pretended it made sense. <laughs> well, you need friends to play D&D with you, and I doubt J.K. Rowling has any of those. But all this to say, even despite all of those other things, my last problem of why I think this is bad is because Harry Potter has nothing to say. There's no thesis. There's no point to any of this, except, I guess, love is good. Like, there's no... The best stories, even children's stories. So, like, what, me as a kid, when I think about the things I liked, um, I think about, like, Avatar The Last Airbender, right? Is, like, yeah. a lasting children's story. Lots of problems. Lots of things I can nitpick. Lots of, like, little stuff. But, like, it has interesting things to say about, like, violence and about... Uh, like genocide and about responsibility and about like leadership and what it means to be a leader about like honor about family and what it means to be like it has things to say yeah i can't think I've, I've thought about this preparing for this i cannot i think maybe you could say harry potter has a sort of like you are determined by the actions you take versus who you are born as thing but like almost everything has that it has a sort of like love love and the people you're connected to are important almost every story has that there's nothing of value it does nothing unique of value to warrant 
the attention it gets. It's so not unique and it's so utterly empty of value or importance that fundamentally I just think the world would be better if we stopped paying attention to this and accepted it as a thing that like was important to me in learning to read and getting into fantasy as an 11 year old and as I look back on it now it was not good and like it is better without it this is my position on Harry Potter I feel comfortable having that position because there is other better stuff that if you want this niche, if you want a children's book about a magic, fantastical world, let me make it more specific. If you want a children's book targeted to somewhere between 11 and 14 year olds about a society of wizards living in the UK uh, featuring a spunky male uh, protagonist trying to make his way in a world full of wizards there's a better book that also does that and also engages with ideas of like class and uh engages with slavery of magical creatures in a way that doesn't just have like the protagonist do this and no one cares and it's totally fine (laughs) um that is like thoughtful and interesting and like clever and put together in a way that like makes me think Harry Potter is not needed. And that is what I'm going to pitch to you today. Um, have you read a book called the Amulet of Samarkand? I have not. I was, I was interested to see if whatever you were going to pitch me was something I had read. Cause I was like scanning my, my sh- bookshelf of like, uh, fantasy novels as you were giving this final part of the pitch but I yes have not i was read that before i was very worried i was going to do this whole long ass lead up and then you were going to have <laughs> read it anyway um but it's fine i got my harry potter rant out um yeah so the ambulance samarkand is the first book in a trilogy of books i think there's actually four but one of them is a prequel so uh, a trilogy called the bartimaeus trilogy written by a british author named jonathan stroud came out in 2003 so right amidst the harry potter heyday and it is a young adult book centering on a young wizard named nathaniel um, the city of London, the biggest differences between this and Harry Potter, because there are quite a few sim- similarities, is uh, wizards are like out and about and control the world openly. Um, they control London. London is run by like a cabal of wizards. Um, there's not like a school. Children are given at young ages as like apprentices to older wizards to train um and they train the other big difference is that wizards do not cast spells of their own accord they are more like warlocks they bind demons and jinn and spirits of different kinds to like their will and then have those spirits do magic the okay the wizards themselves do not have magic they learn how to bind creatures to them and then use them in different ways or literally just like tell them to do things. Um, and that is what this book is. It It is, it follows this like 11 year old kid sound familiar named Nathaniel who uh, gets in over his head and 
does some things to get out of it. I think it is significantly it does some interesting things from a narr from like a structure standpoint. It follows um uh it it switches back and forth between third person narration when it is focused on Nathaniel and first person narration when it is focused on Bartimaeus, the demon he binds um or like the djinn okay. he binds to do a thing. Um and I think it's interesting. It's a young adult novel, so it's like it's pretty high level. It's it's a bit of a romp. It's like a it's not a super super in depth. You know, I pitched it in like a so much better than Harry Potter way, but it you know it's a young adult book. It's a, it's a pretty quick read as far as I remember. It's it's pretty comedic. The caveat to this is I just sold this as a very big swing of being deeper and intense and not i mean i didn't say not problematic but like avoiding some of the issues that harry potter had i will also say i've not read this book in at least 15 years so <laughs> it is possible that 13 year old me was not prepared to consume I i'm also going to reread this and i hope i don't have to take all of this back but <laughs> i i at least feel confident that it engages with ideas like class and ideas like, uh, again, they bind cr magical creatures to slavery. And it is not per the the author of the book does not view that as just like a thing that happens in the world. And it's fine. And sometimes many of them like it like that is yeah. not what the vibe is. And like, I think it is. I don't know if the humor's good. I it would you know there's it's very humorous. There's lots of little like funny quips that I remember being funny as a twelve year old in two thousand seven or whatever. Yeah, I don't know if they will land for you as a thirty year old man in twenty twenty three. Um, I don't know if they'll land for me as I reread it, but I I remember really really liking it, and I know for a fact it does more interesting things than Harry Potter dares to try to do. Um, so I think you should read it. Interesting, yeah. This is uh, this is not something I expected in a pitch from you, so I'm uh, I'm intrigued. I'm interested. You didn't to expect read this one. the entire Harry Potter rant, or uh, <laughs> the book? no? That's not surprising to me. <laughs> sure, that's, sure. That's that's normal standard Far for the course. Tim, yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, it's uh, these books had a very big impact on me because again, I, I read these 2003 when this came out would have been book f like five or six ish of Harry Potter. So this is like deep in the Harry Potter realm and i rem i do remember even as like an 11 or 12 year old reading this book and feeling like feeling like it had something to say i remember even as a kid being like I i'm more interested in this society the society yeah. is worse and it also feels more real like it you know it's a dystopia like it it is again it's it's a london is run by this cabal of wizards and many people if you're not taught how to do this you are not you don't have access to, like, higher levels of government. You don't have access to being... They're, like, classes of citizens, and it deals with that. And, like, Harry Potter hand waves a lot of that in order to tell a story it really wants to tell, which is just kind of like a school story. Um, 
And like, I like media where that stuff isn't hand waved and that stuff is like dealt with. And they do have to reckon with like how the story to spoil slightly, the story of like these, this trilogy is about Nathaniel's uh, corruption slightly about how like this precocious young boy who's just like a regular young boy but has very good talent for magic is how like power corrupts and changes people and like how you the impact that has on other people and like that is a kind of you know it's it's a young adult book it's not like a tome it's not like a yeah grapes of wrath style thing but young adult books should aim for a higher standard than just like love is good like (laughs) you can do better and like i think these books at least do better at that interesting yeah i was trying to think of like other like similar like fantasy books that came out around then that i the only the only thing that comes to mind is like aragon yeah but uh yeah this this one did not make it into my purview back then so i don't know how i found it i'm sure i checked it out from a library at some point or or like a scholastic book fair Mm. and just like bought the i remember i loved the cover um if you look at the cover on wikipedia that is not the the cover that like i bought there's like a cover where bartimaeus the like little imp is like staring it's very early 2000s uh (laughs) young adult book art style but i like i remember loving the cover and just like looking at the cover when i was a kid even after i finished uh reading it um but they're all yeah all three books of the trilogy i think are great but i'm not going to ask you to read three young adult novels before um before the end of uh uh before before our next record so (laughs) we'll start with book one for now there's there's always time for more in future episodes depending this on how is true. this first one goes yeah we'll see how this well i'm also yeah i'm gonna reread it too and th- there's totally a world where i reread this and be like i should not have pitched that that was either problematic or terrible and i just loved it because i was 12 but um we'll see we'll see how it goes no i've uh, i've already pulled out my kindle i'll uh i'll pick it up and i'll start reading i'm excited nice Okay, before we get into the uh, typical closing credits here, we did receive a listener email, and I wanted to bring it up uh, on the podcast. So uh, it's from someone that, uh, Tim, I believe you know, named Chai. Good Um, friend of mine. uh, First bit of it reads, I'm Chai, a longtime fan of the show. Finally following up on many threats to Tim to email the podcast. Inspired by Cozy's golden ticket fan pitch idea, which was uh, from one of Cozy's middle segments of uh, spinoffs for the podcast. Uh, Chai says, I'm pitching a media that I'm fairly certain the cast hasn't seen, as it seems out of the realm of media that's usually talked about on the show. It's a movie called The House that aired on Netflix in 2022. The stop-motion anthology film centered around various inhabitants of a strange house. Borders the line between horror and drama. Enough variance between the different stories of the house. I think the cast could really dig into it. And secretly gunning to make Tim appreciate animated films more. I really should (laughs) uh, pitch you something, another animated film as well. Like a Miyazaki film or something like that. 
You should, because I don't appreciate animated films, but I and I have not heard of the house either. But it is sort of it is one of the weirder things that I've seen in uh, an amount of time, or one of the most like I think Chai is correct that this is not something similar to anything that we have pitched in the past or not. No, um, but it is sort of interesting looking. I think stop motion anthology is not something I'd ever even considered as a thing. <laughs> Um, but it seems interesting. It seems, it's, it seems pretty, you know, I'm always down there to try like out there kinds of things I haven't tried before. And I, uh, as I've talked about in the past, I'm always looking for more anime and or animated films to try to, uh, get me over the hump of my initial, uh, distaste is way too strong of a word, but like (laughs) initial bias, I guess. Um, so yeah, just even well, like disinterest or something maybe, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I I typically don't mind stop motion stuff. Uh, I don't know if I could get Kayla to watch this with me because she has some big aversion to like stop motion, okay, like claymation type stuff. Like I like that she might not be able to get over, especially if it's mixed with like horror elements. Sure. Uh, but she's not on the podcast, so she doesn't have she's to watch not. it if she doesn't want to. Um, so yeah, we we had uh, I before we go on with this, uh, Chai did go on to say you know nice things about the show and uh, mo- importantly that the our show inspired them to play Outer Wilds in its DLC. So yes. already uh, mission accomplished for the podcast there. Yeah, um, that's all we're doing this for. So yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> wanted to say thank you, Chai, for the email and. Um, you know, I and think for the pitch, yes. And for the pitch. So going off of that, um, if any other listeners have other pitch ideas for us, please send them in. And, uh, maybe down the line, we will actually follow up on that golden ticket idea from cozy and kind of put them all together in an episode and decide on one to review. Um, so please send those emails in if you've got, you know, any kind of pitch for us, whether it's something you just think we haven't seen, something a bit off the wall, where we are all ears on, or I guess eyes, since we're going to be reading the emails. We we're don't all ears and eyes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we don't have a voicemail yet. Maybe someday. Someday. Um, but yeah, I think... I think the movie looks interesting. Uh, you know, as we've talked about, horror is not always my go-to genre, but it sure is. Uh, but animation's not synopsis, mine. It, and it if I can get over the animation, you can get over the horror. Yeah, it seemed more interesting than a standard horror flick. So, yeah. Um, but uh, with that out of the way, all that's left is uh, to thank everyone else for listening to this week's episode of Hard Cell. Uh, remember to drop us a rating and a review wherever you find your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at HardCellShow. Um, like I said, you can send us an email. That email address is HardCellShow at gmail.com. So go ahead and send us those pitches. We will probably someday again stream on Twitch. And when we do, it'll be at HardCellShow. And until next time, we'll catch you on the flippity flop. Catch you on the flippity flop.
can't believe we're going to end that on me going, yeah, like I'm some <laughs> sort of Mario character. <laughs> Wahoo! <laughs> I shouldn't have said this recorded because it's going to leave all this in. I'm going to put it at the end for sure. Great. Definitely. <laughs>